Well, good morning again. I haven't had the privilege of doing this yet, at least not outside here. So this is exciting, and this is fun, and this is new, I think, for all of us. And so we have been in a series through the book of James, and that series we have called Steadfast. We've learned a number of things from the book of James already. And in today's passage, we'll be at the end of chapter 2 in James. James brings us back to one of the first ideas uh, that was talked about a few weeks ago in our series. And we noted that one of the things to come out of suffering is faith. And there's a variety of things you can picture maybe when you hear the word faith. Maybe you think of an idea like confidence or trust. Uh, Maybe you think of old faithful, the geyser that is just faithful in how it erupts. Maybe you think of a faith being lost. Or maybe you think of a faith being found. Maybe you think of faith being unshaken or steady. Or, I'll use the word, steadfast. Just like the title of our series. And, and perhaps this is why James brings up the subject to his readers. So that they can develop a better understanding of the idea of faith itself. Because faith is it's certainly an essential element in the Christian life. We read a number of things about faith in Scripture, and just a few of them to get us started are uh, Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. In Ephesians 2.8, we learn that the Christian is saved by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 tells us that the Christian is to walk or live by faith. In Romans 14.23, we actually learn that what we do apart from faith is described as sin in that verse. And these are just some of the verses from God's word about faith. And as James continues his message to Christians who are scattered all over the place, he decides that they should have some instruction about this idea, faith. And our passage today is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And here we find James discussing three different kinds of faith. And I'll read the passage. James 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical deeds, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is God's word from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. 
James wants his, le- his readers, excuse me, to realize that while there are different kinds of faith, a true saving faith is the only kind that can be proven. Ideas about proof or evidence, these are very important for James. And I think they are to us also. I mean, think about it. If you're out on the court or the field and someone says something like, I can make that shot. Our response is usually something like, okay, go for it. Prove it, right? Um, When your napkin is on your plate at the end of dinner and your parents ask you if you ate your green beans, you might say yes, but they're most likely going to have you move that napkin to check, right? (laughs) They're going to prove it to make sure. You can't just tell me. You have to show me is the idea. I grew up in Missouri. Um, I kind of jokingly say I grew up in misery. Um, But I grew up in the state of Missouri. And you might not know this, but each state has a slogan. And for most of them, it even shows up on their license plates. At least it used to. It may not for all of them. So California is the golden state, right? Arizona is the Grand Canyon state. My parents actually grew up in New York City. And New York is known as the Empire State. And Missouri, where I grew up, it's known as the Show Me State. I even have a couple old license plates from when I was a kid. There are two here. I'm trying to separate them. (laughs) And so it says, the Missouri plates don't look like this anymore, but it says right on the plate, it's the show me state. And uh, it's kind of because this idea that eloquent speech, it's not enough most times. You're going to have to show me. And that's kind of where that comes from. And it's funny, I was thinking about this this week, and about a year ago, I was talking to a parent, I remember this conversation, about how hard it is to get our young sons to wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. (laughs) And two of my kids are boys, and so I I was interested in this conversation and what he had to say, this dad, uh, when he was describing something that happened one particular day. One of his sons had just come out of the bathroom, and he stopped to ask him, did you wash your hands? And the immediate reply was, yes. And so he said right away, the dad, okay, lick your fingers. And the son immediately turned around, walked right back into the bathroom without saying a word, most likely to wash his hands because he hadn't washed them. Um, it's, it's pretty good, but it illustrates this idea that we all want to see proof. Show me. Remember that James' idea about proof or evidence, it, it's very important to him. And so he jumps right in to talk about, in this passage, what I see as three different types of faith. The first kind of faith that James talks about is what we might call a dead faith. And people with this kind of faith, they know the correct vocabulary for things like prayer and doctrine and other things in the Christian life. They can even quote the right Bible verse. But their walk doesn't necessarily measure up with their talk. This is an an intellectual only or a head only or a knowledge only faith. And you might think this is a little odd for James to bring up to his readers, but I think at this point in his letter, it's it's natural because he's already shown us some of the deeds that a, a true Christian faith should lead to. Back in chapter one, verse 27, he wrote, religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So he's already talked to his readers about some deeds that a true Christian faith should lead to. And he's already provided an example about how some people are failing to demonstrate that through their deeds 
when they show favoritism to people. And we learned about that a couple of weeks ago, but that's just a few verses ago, right at the beginning of chapter two, about not showing favoritism. So claiming faith but lacking deeds seems to be a relevant issue for James's readers. And for today, too, because I think it's very easy to claim to have faith. It doesn't take much to say you're a believer or a Christian. Uh, a lot of people even do that. It's, it's as easy as saying a few words, checking a box on a form, making a public comment on social media, or answering a survey question when a survey comes around. So faith is very easily claimed by anybody. But James says it might not be true, genuine faith. He says it has to be proven. He says, you have to show me. Is this words only intellectual faith the kind of faith that we want? James would say no, not by any means. And three times here in this passage, James emphasizes that faith without works is dead. You see it in verse 17, in verse 20, and in verse 26. Now, we'll talk just a little bit about this idea of faith and works, what James means by some of that in a few minutes, but right now I want to stay on this topic of dead faith for just a moment. We don't want to be people who have this first kind of faith that he's talking about, a dead faith. So how can we tell if we possess true faith? That's really the question. How can we prove our faith? And James sets out to answer this, and he does so in a couple of interesting ways. The first way is that he uses a hypothetical situation. He imagines a Christian who is without clothes and daily food in verse 15. What would you do is his question. And while his example is hypothetical, it is entirely plausible and entirely possible. And sadly, the response also is all too possible, is what he says. Merely wishing someone well when they have a need and when we have the ability to help that indicates that our words may not be sincere. If we have the means to help a practical need and we choose not to, no amount of nice sounding words is gonna make up for it. This is why James asks, what good is it? Twice, in verse 14 and in verse 16, he asks, what good is it? And so his expectation is that genuine believers will do all that they can to help one another practically. That's setting up a hypothetical situation. He also uses a hypothetical objector in his argument. This is the person who says, well, you have faith and I have deeds, in verse 18. In other words, they're saying, James, there's different types of Christians out there. We're not all the same. Some are the thinking types. Some are the practical types. Some have faith and some have deeds. But this kind of distinction, it doesn't work for James. There aren't the it's all in my head Christians versus the faith is what I do types of Christians. James says that genuine faith will always be expressed in how we live. That's how faith is proven. Faith is seen by our deeds. And after these hypotheticals, James decides to shock his readers just a little bit as he brings in a second kind of faith. This is what we'll call a demonic faith. I know, a little shocking. But what James is doing here is reminding us that even demons have a certain kind of faith. It's not a saving faith, but they have a certain kind of faith to them. 
They believe in God. Did you know that there are no atheist or agnostic demons out there? <laughs> they believe in God and know who he is for sure. They even believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They know who he is as well. They also believe in the existence of a place of condemnation. They know about hell. And the scripture also tells us that they believe Jesus will be the judge. You can see a little bit of that in Matthew chapter 8. And so James writes in verse 19, You believe that there is one God, good. Even the, even the demons believe that. Honestly, it's almost like now the gloves are off, right? There's no area of Christian belief in his era, in James's era, for first century believers, more significant. God is one. This statement is the cornerstone of an Old Testament and a biblical understanding of God. The Shema, it was called, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This verse is so significant that committed Old Testament believers, they would recite it daily. A daily thing for them. Jesus himself also affirmed the importance of this very verse, quoting this when he was uh, asked to give a summary of the law. You can read that in Mark chapter 12. And yet affirmation of Christian truth is not enough. It means nothing by itself. And so what is this kind of faith that the demons have? This is interesting because unlike a dead faith, which involves only the intellect or the mind, this faith that the demons have, it also involves emotions, you, you could say. Um, because we have to remember and note that it says that they believe and they shudder. They have a, like a, a feeling reaction to their belief. Not a saving faith at all but they still have a reaction to this. This might be one step above a dead faith. It involves both the intellect and a little bit of feelings or some kind of emotion about it. It's not just stuck in the head. It does something to us, right? But has this proven to be the right kind of faith? Again, James would say, no, not by any means at all. True faith involves something more, something that can be seen and recognized, a life that has actually changed by the power of Christ. I'm gonna pause for just a moment because of the noise. So true faith involves a life that is actually changed by the power of Christ. And so James has introduced two different kinds of faith already a dead faith and a demonic faith, as we've called them. Now we come to a third kind of faith. And, and this we'll call a dynamic faith. And a dynamic faith involves the whole man, the whole person. While dead faith maybe only touches the intellect, and a demonic faith might involve the intellect and some kind of a reaction, dynamic faith involves the intellect, the emotions, and the will. The will is what acts upon the truth. That's what makes this really more a part of the whole man. It's a true faith, is a faith that leads to action, again, because of a life that's changed by Christ. It's not intellectual contemplation. It's not emotionalism by itself. It's something that leads to actual obedience to the teachings of Jesus, to doing good works in our life out of our love for him. 
which, by the way, good works, if you want to say so, which, by the way, they, they were prepared beforehand for us to do, and they're what we were created to do, at least according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. James illuminates these ideas. He uses rhetorical questions and different illustrations. He uses an imaginary objector. He even goes so far as, as to introduce the absurd, we might say. Even the demons believe that. <clears throat> it's been said that James may be short on tact. And I can see that from a reading of James. But I think he has our attention. Maybe we're wondering about our faith. Maybe we're wondering about faith versus works and those ideas going on here. And James asked his question in verse 20. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Remember, proof and evidence for James is an important thing. And James is now saying, I'm going to show you. And he goes on to answer his own questions with two case studies. Two Old Testament characters that his readers would have been very familiar with. Two extremes, really, when it comes to people in the Old Testament, who both demonstrate the importance of an active faith. Abraham and Rahab. Excuse me. James starts with Abraham, and with good reason, if you think about it. Abraham wasn't just a man of faith. He was the man of faith. <laughs> he is our father, James says in verse 21, and God's friend in verse 23. He is the one who believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And in Abraham's story, he was told to sacrifice his son, Isaac, back in Genesis chapter 22. Years after receiving the promise before that he would be the father of a great nation back in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham moves to obey God to demonstrate his faith. And the kind of faith that previously had been credited to him as righteousness years before now produces an act of obedience in following God when he's asked to sacrifice his son. This leads James to the first of two conclusions. And initially, it looks a little troubling in verse 24. James writes, You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Oh, there's the airplane up there somewhere. Again in verse 24 he writes, You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And on the surface, James seems to be flatly contradicting what we've read from the Apostle Paul, who wrote in Romans 3.28, that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, I did say we'll get to the faith and works ideas, but I want to point out, we're not going to have a complete and thorough study of this right here today. One, because of time, but also because that's not really James's focus in this passage. And if James isn't making this his focus in the passage, I'm going to not try to make it his focus in the passage. But we will take just a, min a minute to understand a little of what James is talking about when he says this. The two New Testament writers seem diametrically opposed. It's almost like it's James versus Paul. But I think we need to notice that James uses the word faith in a slightly different way than Paul uses the word faith. For Paul, faith is trusting in Christ. We are saved by faith alone. 
James has been using faith more broadly in a wider sense as he's reaching out, describing not just trusting in Christ, but also in this passage, describing the claim to be trusting in Christ. Even that claim he's calling a part of faith. And I think a closer look at what James is actually saying helps us understand this even more. Look again at what James is saying in the first part of this key verse, verse 24. The first two words. He says, you see. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Alone, excuse me. Emphasis on that word see. Don't miss this part. We easily dismiss little things like that but they're crucial for understanding what James is and isn't saying. We might use the words, you see, in in, in a somewhat innocuous way, like we have a point we're just about to say something and explain. But it can also be used more literally. And I think this is really what James is doing here. Almost like you might say, you see that I spilled ketchup on my shirt earlier today. (laughs) There's a stain there. You, You see the evidence of that. It's something that's visually apparent to somebody who wants to take a look and see. And that's the way James seems to be using the word here. He does it earlier in the passage as well. He says, you see that a person is considered righteous. So for him, James is talking not about how someone is justified, but about how you see or how you can tell that they are justified. His concern is not with the means of salvation, like Paul is, but it's with the visible evidence of it. And this, after all, this is the exact point that he's been trying to make in this entire passage as he walks through all of this. And once we understand this, we're in a a position to see what James is doing here. How can you tell if someone is justified? The answer is not by a mere profession of faith. Anyone can claim to be trusting Christ. You can even train a parrot to say that, (laughs) right? Faith alone, in the sense that James is using it here, is insufficient. The real evidence is how faith moves us to obey God, to see that worked out in our life. This apparent difference between James and Paul, I read this about a week ago, and I thought this was great. It's been described this way. Paul shows us we are saved by faith alone. James shows us that saving faith never remains alone. It's seen in godly deeds. I'm going to read that again because it's important. Paul shows us that we are saved by faith alone. James shows us that saving faith never remains alone. It is seen in godly deeds. James brings up Abraham as an example to reveal how Abraham showed his faith. James also says to look at Rahab in verse 25. Now, you couldn't find two more different people in the Old Testament than Abraham and Rahab, right? Think about it. Abraham was the father of the Jews. Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was a godly man. Rahab, we know, was a, well, let's just call her a sinful woman. (laughs) Abraham was the friend of God. Rahab belonged to the enemies of God, not God's chosen people. So what is it that they have in common? Both of them, James is saying, they exercised faith in such a way that was shown by what they did. It was shown by their actions. Rahab and Abraham were worlds apart. 
yet they both illustrate the same point. True faith is shown by actions, no matter what your background or no matter what your story is. True faith is evidenced in your actions, in your life. Now the story of Rahab reveals that although she was a sinner and not a part of God's chosen nation, she heard of God, she heard about his deeds and who he was, and she put her faith in him, and her faith caused her to have this action to help God's people. And actually, she later becomes a part of the genealogy of Christ in the story of the Bible. Again, the proof is in the actions. And so James brings us to his conclusion at the end of chapter 2, in verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Verse 26. James uses Abraham and Rahab as, as, as evidence that Christians need to show their faith. That's, that's the same for us also. In verse 22, again we'll read, you see that his faith, speaking of Abraham, and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Abraham's faith was shown by what he did, made complete by what he did. And our faith today is also shown by the things that we do and how we live out our faith. Professions of faith can look superficially impressive. They can even move us with emotion. But without deeds, without being put into practice, they are no more vibrant than a dead body. Remember, James writes that faith without deeds is dead. Real faith is lived out. True faith is, is visible and active. It does things. And something that was helpful for me when studying this passage was to realize that for James, the contrast is not as much between faith and deeds as it really is between a dead, useless faith and a living faith. That's really the contrast for James. And the teaching of James in this passage, it's a call to integrity. It's a call to live out the gospel. And it's important to realize for us as Christians that we need to examine our heart examine our lives, make sure that we possess the right kind of faith because our faith is something that can be seen. We even have an illustration of this from the life of Jesus from Mark chapter 2. You may remember this story. There was a a scene where Jesus was teaching a crowd jam-packed into a small home. There wasn't even enough room outside. The place was just overflowing. And so when a group of men turned up, They were desperate to get to Jesus. The only option was for them to climb up on the roof and start digging through to get down to Jesus who was below. And if you know this story, you know the reason. They wanted to bring a friend of theirs who was paralyzed to Jesus. They wanted to bring their friend to Jesus. And in the story, once they had lowered this man onto the floor in front of Jesus, the gospel writer Mark tells us something that's often missed, yet very significant. In verse 5, We read this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. What did Jesus see? Their faith. Their faith was a visible thing. Because all true faith is. It's seen and visible in the way we live. It's not an invisible way of just thinking about God. It's something seen in how we behave. It's not just a system of doctrines or behaviors or beliefs. Our faith is about what we do with what we believe. 
And people will figure out what we believe when they see how we live. Paul writes at the end of Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. James says in verse 26 in our passage today, faith without deeds is dead. Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. And my encouragement to you today is simply this. Show your faith. Show your faith. This is going to look different for each one of us. I know that. I was talking with someone on the phone last night, my brother-in-law actually, just about this idea that as I was preparing for this message, this wasn't one where I realized I could come to the end and say, okay, go today and do A, B, and C, and you've got it. Because this is going to look different for each one of us. How we show our faith is going to look different. But what we need to do as our lives are being changed and grown into the followers of Christ that God wants us to be is to show our faith. So I'm not exactly sure what that might be for you, what the next step is. All I know is that people will see your faith as you follow Jesus. But that's okay because they should. And so my encouragement today for you, maybe some homework or an assignment, is is to go back through some of these passages and figure out what do I need to do to show my faith. One thought around here at Nova might be something as simple as following what Christ wants you to do in getting baptized. Just one thought we thought of this week. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and never been baptized. If you would like to do that, come and talk to myself or one of the other pastors or staff. We would love to help you do that because Jesus says that's something you should do in your faith. And that is an outward visible expression of your faith in Christ. And I would say, if you've never done that, you should. Not not that you have to be baptized to be saved. That's not at all what we mean. But once you're saved, you should be baptized showing an outward profession of this publicly. And we are working on figuring out the best way to do that because we're meeting outside, but we are gonna figure out how to do that. And there are some people that wanna get baptized. And if you want to follow Christ in that way, maybe that's the, the step for you. But whatever that step would be, I would encourage you to show your faith. That's the end of James chapter two. And so for those of you who are here today on the lawn, I would ask you to please stand for our benediction. But also know after the benediction, before we dismiss, I do have just a couple of reminders for us before we just bolt off. I'll give some instructions. As we continue to live out our faith, may we remember God's word from a couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 13 today as our benediction. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.